And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day, despite the fact that we are facing a great danger. And I think it is a great danger. It is not simply a made-up boogeyman. The uh, idea of a default of not raising the debt ceiling of the United States being unable to pay its debts uh, would be a tremendous dose of chaos and financial damage. And honestly, there is no vaguely credible uh, commentator who says, nah, it's nothing. It, it'll just be uh, a little blip. Uh, last time when this happened in 2011 uh, with a, a much bigger majority on the Republican side in Congress, remember they had just won in 2010. That was the Tea Party election where the Republicans gained – they gained 55 seats in the House to take over the House. It was, it was huge. Uh, actually – uh, and and a, again, it was one of those things where I believe it was may have been over 60 seats that the Republicans won in 2011. So they had a sense that there was a a real mandate from the people that had uh, said, "Okay, you you have to cut the spending. We are worried about the level of national debt. We are worried about the level of deficit." has to be cut back. And they, um, they were making the same demand in 2011 that uh, they're making now, which is that basically, yes, they would raise the debt ceiling, but only if spending was cut on a dollar-for-dollar -dollar basis is originally what they wanted. They didn't get it, but they did get some significant spending cuts from President Obama. But that was largely because there was such a big Republican majority in the House of Representatives. But uh, Obama can, still controlled the United States Senate and he controlled the White House. And it was a situation like the situation now, except for the fact that uh, there isn't a big margin of control in the House. It's just five seats, and one of those seats belongs to George Santos. There's, of course, more George Santos news. Um, a turnaround. He's decided to walk the straight and narrow, and no, actually, there's confirming video. I have not taken the time to watch it, uh, of his drag performances, which he, uh, which he denied, and swore that, no, he never worked as a drag dancer. But uh, he did. And they have the tapes to prove it from Brazil. And he had a number of um, uh, of still more names for uh, George Santos, who's also known as, uh, what what is it, uh, Anthony Devalder and many other names. Zabriskie is one of his names. Um, the... Uh, the the idea that you are going to try to actually win a confrontation with the White House and with the Democratic majority in the Senate uh, based upon the the reliability of people like George Santos, 
and not to mention Paul Gosar and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and the rest of that crowd. This is going to be a very, very treacherous and, and challenging time for, uh, for Republicans. But it's also a terrible time for Democrats. Look at the mess the president is in. And uh, it's, it's, it's really quite remarkable when you get to it. The, uh, uh, there's a piece in the Washington Post, and the Washington Post generally has been very democratic, very supportive of President Biden. Oh, not anymore. Um, the uh, President Biden's document situation, they say in the Post this morning, took a turn over the weekend after a 13-hour search of his home in Wilmington turned up yet more items with classified markings, some from his eight-year tenure as vice president, others from his decades-long stint in the Senate. Remember, he came to the Senate in 1973, I believe, was the first year he was a senator. That's probably before many, many people who are listening right now were even born. A lot of what we think we know about this evolving controversy, uh, but uh, uh, an important quality for any journalist is to know what they don't know. And this is as good a time as any to consider a few outstanding questions, something Senator Tim Kaine, who just announced he's running for re-election, uh, did on Sunday on CBS's Face the Nation when asked about the latest discoveries. By the way, Tim Kaine is one of those seats that Republicans have a good shot of going after, and partially um, because of uh, the lieutenant governor of uh, Virginia, who is a, an outstanding uh, black Republican, and she... Uh, uh, and got a, a lot of attention as the first woman of color uh, ever to hold a statewide office, I believe, in the state of Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia. And also, it's a, not inconceivable that Glenn Youngkin, the new Republican governor of Virginia, could run uh, after his first three years in office, that he could uh, run either for the U.S. Senate against Tim Kaine or for President of the United States. There are a lot of political pros who think Youngkin could be one of the most effective of any prospective Republican candidate. In any event, the uh, how many documents are we talking about is one of the questions that we need to know. Remember, President Biden has said there's no there there and we've exhausted it and we've inspected everything. Okay, after looking through his house for 13 hours, the FBI found a bunch more documents. And the Washington Post says, how many documents are we talking about? Dozens, a handful of hundreds, a handful or hundreds. How serious are they? Why were they taken? Did anyone have access to them? And then is the president being cooperative? Uh, here, then, are some of the daily 202 questions. What was Biden's personal role, if any? The uh, Washington Post's uh, reported last week that Biden's longtime executive assistant, Kathy Chung, has confided to associates that she is distressed that she might have inadvertently been involved 
in uh, moving uh, or uh, storing classified material at the Biden uh, Center at University of Pennsylvania, which is in Washington. But her colleagues say that she was not involved with this latest batch that were found at Biden's home. Uh, what, what, uh, just what is in these documents? Uh, documents that belong to the federal government, the Washington Post writes, uh, and improperly taking and storing them is bad. Well, yes, it is. It, and it doesn't matter if your name is Trump or Biden. But it should be obvious that not all of this is not good. It's not created equal. So just how secret are the documents found in Biden's custody? They are now saying, the Washington Post is reporting, that some of the uh, documents were found in the first discovery of classified materials related to, bum, 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 Iran. But uh, whether they're boring but classified diplomatic cables about the inflation uh, about inflation or a top-secret map of Tehran's nuclear facilities from which the Islamic Republic could deduce the identity of CIA assets, we don't know. And what about the White House response? We will get to that. It's been pathetic and more coming up on the MedVeg. From politics to pop culture and from coast to coast, this is the Michael Medved Show. Michael Medved show, uh, there's a famous story, and I, I actually remember this very, very vividly, that during the Tet Offensive in, in February of 1968, uh, there was, and uh, again, it was late January, early February, there was a, a, a tremendous uh, aggressive a movement by the North Vietnamese Army and by their Viet Cong allies to uh, invade uh, South Vietnam. It ended up being a military disaster for them. Uh, the South Vietnamese fought valiantly. Uh, our troops, uh, and there were hundreds of thousands in Vietnam at the time, uh, fought valiantly, and it, it was a disaster for the North Vietnamese. All the books about the Vietnamese War, and we are right at the uh, anniversary of the Paris Peace Accords that at least formally ended the uh, Vietnam War, and because that was January of 1973. But during the Tet Offensive, there was a, um, a special that was put on CBS News with Walter Cronkite, who was at the time the most trusted man in America. And I remember being knocked out by that special because uh, I was watching it. I was in, in college, and we, we did not – school policy for people who lived in the residential colleges at Yale, no TVs. You, you weren't allowed to have TVs in the rooms. 
And so people would watch TV together in what was called the common room, which is sort of the living room for the dormitory building, the residential college that you're in. And people were gathered watching this program, the special with Walter Cronkite. And it was just devastating because what it basically said is that because the North Vietnamese have mounted this devastating uh, Tet Offensive that we had been lied to by the Johnson administration, we had, that uh, the American policy was failing. It was an extraordinarily negative view of the war. And then afterward, according to uh, all of uh, the biographies of Johnson, and I actually, uh, Bill Moyers, who was a press secretary for Johnson and really was the most senior member of his White House staff, uh, I interviewed Bill Moyers at, at great length for my book, The Shadow Presidents, and uh, he, um, he confirmed that Johnson watched with tremendous anger the uh, show that Walter Cronkite put on attacking his policy. And he said, and it's famous now, if I've lost Walter Cronkite, I've lost America. Because Cronkite had been very supportive of Johnson and his campaign for election in 1964, where Johnson won in a tremendous landslide against Goldwater. In any event, for Paul uh, Joe Biden, if he's lost uh, the New York Times and Washington Post, I mean, these are such clearly Democratic-oriented, liberal-oriented uh, newspapers and news sources. But there is today, aside from the, the piece, it's very critical of uh, Joe Biden and the way he handles uh, this strategy. And then you can add to the New York Times piece where they have a piece that appeared this weekend by Jonathan Alter, who's former editor at Newsweek. He's a fine historian, too, a good writer. The piece is called, Oh, Biden, What Have You Done? <laughs> not, not the headline you're looking for if you're in the White House. And, uh, the, um, and in the piece, he writes... Republicans are ferocious attack dogs, especially when they have something to chew on. And Mr. Biden, a better president than candidate, has never had the nimbleness necessary for good defense. When he first ran for president in 1988, he was forced to withdraw amid minor charges of plagiarism that a more dexterous politician might have survived. Over the years, his skills on the stump deteriorated. His he performed poorly at Iowa and New Hampshire in 2020 and recovered in South Carolina and won the nomination only because Democrats concluded en masse that he was the best candidate to beat Trump. That remains the prevailing assumption inside the Democratic Party. He did it before, so he can do it again. But it's not clear that rank-and-file voters agree. Last year, a New York Times-Siena College poll showed that nearly two-thirds of Democrats didn't want Mr. Biden to run. While his standing improved after the midterms, he's down in the first polls released since the documents story broke. The president is now an elderly swimmer in a sea of sharks. <laughs> it, it, that's a devastating image because it's so accurate. 
and some of them may even be Democrats. It's not hard to envision an ambitious primary challenger arguing more in sorrow than in anger that he or she supports most of the Biden record, but elections are about the future and the party needs a more vigorous candidate. Mr. Biden would be 86 at the end of a second term. Democratic leaders will be shocked and appalled by the upstart's temerity in spoiling the party's impressive unity. But New Hampshire is full of anti-establishment independence, and basically the entire state is furious with Mr. Biden now for proposing to bump its primary to the second week of the schedule. He could easily lose or be weakened there, opening the door for other Democrats. Which ones? That's what primaries are for. Uh, And then it says, imagine that the president instead takes a leaf from Nancy Pelosi and decides not to run. Uh, Congressman Jamie Comer and the clownish members of his committee would probably end up training most of their fire on Democrats not named Biden. Democrats would turn the page, as Mr. Obama recommended in 2008, to a crop of fresher candidates, probably governors who contrast better with Mr. Trump and would have good odds of beating a younger Republican. And the smiling old gentleman in the Corvette, his shortcomings forgotten and his family protected, would assume his proper place as a bridge between political generations and arguably the most accomplished one-term president in American history. Now, that last sentence, I think that's a stretch, uh, but I think it's meant to appeal to to Joe Biden's need, uh, actually, not to immediately after the State of the Union announce that he's not running for re-election, but to make the State of the Union on February 7th, it's coming right up, a, a, a very, very big event and a historic event by making another announcement. What is it? We'll tell you coming right up. Makes no sense. The Michael Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. Medved show. Uh, we were talking last segment about Lyndon Johnson, and Lyndon Johnson was a president who had won a tremendous landslide. He had helped pass the Civil Rights Bill of 1964, which was his achievement. He passed Medicare, which the Democrats had been working on for a long time, and uh, he was considered at the time of his reelection by just a gigantic margins and he had more than two-thirds of both houses of congress i mean he was sitting pretty he was a very powerful president and people were using the term great president one of our greatest presidents i mean the praise for lyndon johnson uh and of course coming after the horrible trauma and the shock of the kennedy assassination was tremendous and then it was March 31st. And again, I remember this stuff because it, 
I was in college and following it deeply, and I was about to take some time off from college uh, to go work on uh, one of the campaigns, Robert Kennedy's campaign, actually. And what Johnson did was he was giving a surprise speech about Vietnam. It was eagerly awaited. We were going to have a change in Vietnam policy and try to negotiate our way out of the war, which eventually Richard Nixon succeeded in doing. But um, Johnson, at the end of his television address, live to the country, he added a, a segment saying that at this time of crisis, uh, you shouldn't have your president preoccupied with politics. We're talking about war and peace. We're talking about the future of the country. As he says, therefore, I will not be a candidate for president of the United States, and I will not accept the nomination. It was it, a clear statement pulling himself out of the presidential race. He had already lost uh, the, uh, uh, the Wisconsin primary, and he had had a, a nobody who at the time, Senator Eugene McCarthy of Minnesota, who won 42% of the vote in the New Hampshire primary. So it was dramatic. It was a surprise. I don't think it's unthinkable that we will get that kind of surprise in what would become a very eventful, very famous State of the Union address. That's February 7th. The... Uh, the deluge of bad news for President Biden, the the idea that uh, he, okay, he, Democrats did better than expected in the midterm elections, but right now there there's just a feeling of wheels coming off the bus. And, and there is this um, today, and uh, again, uh, it's, it's just breaking news today, that a former special agent in charge of the FBI New York Counterintelligence Division has been charged with violating U.S. sanctions on Russia. A, a Russian court and government interpreter uh, are also uh, charged with violating U.S. sanctions on Russia. This is a special agent named Charlie McGonigal, who's 54. And according to documents, McGonagall and Sergei Shestakov, 69, are charged in a five-count indictment unsealed today in the Southern District of New York with violating and conspiring to violate the uh, International Emergency Economic Powers Act and conspiring to commit money laundering and uh, then actually doing the money laundering. Uh, the According to court documents on April 6, 2018, the U.S. Department of the Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control designated Oleg Deripaska as a specially designated national SDN in connection with its finding that the actions of the government of the Russian Federation with respect to Ukraine constitute an unusual and extraordinary threat to U.S. national security and foreign policy. And McGonagall has allegedly actually taken bribes. He uh, And he was the guy who supervised and participated in investigations of Russian oligarchs, including Deripaska, uh, Sergei Shestakov, who's also indicted as a former Soviet and Russian diplomat who later became a U.S. citizen, 
and a Russian interpreter for courts and government offices. Okay, considering the fact that Republicans were anyway preparing to investigate the FBI to uh, look at some of the irregularities and some of the suspicious dealings, quite frankly, involving the Steele dossier and uh, the FISA, the Foreign Intelligence Supervisory Act, uh, the, uh, the entire situation now for Biden uh, to, uh, to, to try to reassure people the FBI is fine uh, this is a tremendous, tremendous problem. Uh, and uh, and how is Biden handling everything? Like the documents problem that's already gotten him a special prosecutor who's supposed to be looking at the whole thing? Listen to the way that CNN, again, another media outlet that has been very pro-Biden generally, uh, here's what CNN reports. The Let's White see. House strategy today is downplay, but the playbook might need a refresh after FBI agents discovered even more classified documents in President Biden's Delaware home this weekend. If you're losing track of where the story stands, here's how we got here. On November 2nd, the first batch of documents was found inside of Biden's private office in Washington, D.C. Two days later, the National Archives notified the Justice Department. And then on November 9th, the DOJ launched its probe. Fast forward to December. On the 20th, Biden's lawyers searched his garage in Wilmington, Delaware, and found more documents. On January 5th, Attorney General Garland was briefed, and the public learned of the story four days later. Biden's Wilmington home was searched again on the 11th, and more documents were found. A special counsel was named the next day, and five more documents were found in yet another search in Delaware. And that brings us to this past Friday, an unprecedented 13-hour FBI search of a sitting president's home that, yes, has already been searched at least three times, and six more documents found in that search. This drip, drip, drip is getting harder for Democrats to defend. Okay, and in fact, the second-ranking Democrat in the Senate, Dick Durbin, uh, said this about the latest batch. It's just the latest uh, revelation of the president having classified items that he shouldn't have. You've been in Congress for 40 years. You've handled classified material for a lot of those years, probably most of them. How concerned are you about this? Well, I'm concerned. Uh, there's a standard that we follow when it comes to members of Congress and classified information. Uh, the door to my office is closed. The person who presents the document to me takes it out of a locked uh, briefcase, hands it to me and watches as I read it. When I finish reading it, he takes it back and puts it in the briefcase and leaves the scene. I mean, that's how carefully we review these documents to think that any of them ended up uh, in, in, in boxes uh, in storage one place or the other is just unacceptable. Okay, and some of these documents go back to the time before 2008 when um, Joe Biden was Senator Biden and their classified documents that he was exposed to as a senator. And this calls a great deal of his career. I mean, we all know that he rode the train. Do you think he left any top secret documents on the train? I mean, he's riding the train from Washington, D.C. to Wilmington, Delaware. Oh, and now there is more about the gunman behind the Monterey Park massacre, 11 people dead, uh, about, uh, again, the way that there should have been some warning.
that uh, this individual was dangerous. Uh, what are we talking about? We'll give you the latest, latest coming right up on the Medvention. Your outlet for outrage. Where's the outrage? I, I'm shook up, and you know what's going to happen? I'm going to be driving down the road listening to all this. I'm going to wreck the car and sue Michael Medved. Okay, don't sue and don't wreck the car. The Michael Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. Okay, this is from the Daily Beast, and uh, just leaving aside for a moment the White House meltdown, which is going on, there's going to be a new chief of staff, Jeff uh, Zients, and um, I don't know, uh, Ron Klain leaving after two years, and uh, which is, it's been a fairly stable White House staff so far. But is it uh, significant that, that Ron Klain, who has been the most powerful man in the White House, a lot of people say, including Joe Biden, um, the, the entire situation uh, has to be terrifying if you're part of the Biden team or a Biden loyalist right now. And it's uh, any surprise that you uh, change your chief of staff direction at this point in any of there's this on the shooter from monterey park california where 11 people have now died the gunman behind the monterey park uh shooting and and by the way they say the suspected gunman he kills himself he's dead he's identified uh, they have photos uh security photos he's more than suspected at this point uh, the gunman behind the Monterey Park shooting had recently visited a police station claiming that he had been poisoned, according to law enforcement. The shooter, identified as Hugh Contran, visited the Hemet police station, Hemet's 80 miles away from L.A., uh, twice in January. Last month, according to local authorities, uh, Tran visited the Hemet Police Department lobby on January 7th and 9th, 2023, alleging that past uh, fraud, theft, and poisoning allegations involving his family in the Los Angeles area 10 to 20 years ago. The department wrote in a statement regarding the deceased 72-year-old who was residing in a mobile park in the town uh, some 86 miles away from the attack. Tran stated he would return to the station, police station, with documentation regarding his allegations, but never returned. While authorities have yet to disclose a clear motive, police believe that Tran targeted some victims of the attack at the Star Dance Studio Ballroom, which left 11 people dead and another 10 brutally injured, while other victims of the violence were completely random. Now, once you've gone to the police department, um, should, again, what part of this indicates, 
is that the problem that we have with guns in this country is not the guns. It's guns in the hands of people who are insane. And uh, that's why red flag laws, I believe, are important. And would it not raise some red flags if someone is goes into the police department and, and talks about poisoning and plots against him? And uh, again, he had a, a gun that they say was illegal anyway in the state of California. But it certainly should be a, a matter of some caution to make sure that an individual who goes twice to the police department with this paranoia, and, and again, all of the writing so far about Tran has indicated that there was a very deep paranoid streak going on there. Um, it, it, it raises questions about uh, who you notify and what you do to try to make sure that somebody like this uh, is not well-armed for a slaughter, which is what occurred. Uh, speaking of uh, slaughter and being well-armed and being prepared, uh, Joe Manchin, and Joe Manchin, which is remarkable, has also... And now, at least according to the National Journal, uh, Joe Manchin is uh, talking about he hasn't decided whether to run for re-election or not. He's on the ballot this next time. And he, uh, he said that um, everything is on the table when he was asked about his plans. And then, including running for president, he repeated it, everything on the table. So if Joe Manchin actually ran for president as a Democrat, um, wow, it would be uh, more, more bad news for Joe Biden. This is Joe Manchin on CNN uh, talking about Biden and, and the abject incompetence of his handling of these classified documents. Listen. Earlier this week, he defended his handling of the situation. He said, quote, there's no there there. Do you agree? Well, I don't know, but I can tell you one thing. It's unbelievable how this could happen. It's totally irresponsible, and who's at fault? But with that being said, putting it in a political kangaroo court's not going to help. What it should be done is exactly what Merrick Garland did, put the special counsel. Let's wait and see. You know, some people are taking sides. Okay, it was more egregious to what President Trump did than what President Biden did, and maybe that's true. I don't know. Maybe it's not true. Let's find out. I'm willing to find out from the people that are looking at it, finding all these different documents and looking at the, at the classifications and if it's harmful, could have been harmful or was it harmful, and make determinations should, and then the legislature. Should this affect his decision to run for re-election? Well, he has to make that. That's a personal decision with him and his family, you know. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. If, uh, if you're Joe Biden and you're listening to what we just heard, uh and unless you and the people around you are complete idiots, which is always possible, uh, this is uh, somebody who's thinking seriously of running for president and of challenging you, sir, Mr. Biden. Because let's wait and see. And, uh, and should it impact his running for president? Well, that's a decision he and his family have to make. 
And the decision that he should make, and the reason I believe it would be the right decision for the country, the right decision for him, the right decision for his place in history, is to announce that uh, he is going to complete his term. He gets one term, uh, and uh, and 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 then uh, indicate that he is not going to endorse anyone else. He is going to leave it open for the Democrats to choose new leadership, meaning that, no, he's not going to line up between Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris gave a speech in Tallahassee, Florida, in which she uh, misquoted significantly the Declaration of Independence. Uh, it's conspicuous. See if you notice what she said. Listen. We collectively believe and know America is a promise. America is a promise. It is a promise of freedom and liberty. Not for some, but for all. A promise we made in the Declaration of Independence. That we are each endowed with the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Be clear, these rights were not bestowed upon us. They belong to us as Americans. Okay, do you notice uh, two key words she left out? One word was life. And the other word was creator. I, I mean, what the Declaration of Independence says is, and they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And among these are life, which I guess to her is a dirty word, uh, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, this was for the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Uh, would... Would Kamala Harris be a viable candidate for president? Look at the last time she ran. She got some good press at the very beginning. She didn't win a single delegate. I mean, she was... No, she didn't. She uh, performed uh, miserably. And uh, again, moving on past the Biden-Harris administration... Uh, moving into a, a new election with new nominees in both parties. What a blessing that would be. And what a breath of fresh air and new energy on behalf of this greatest nation on God's green earth.